Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AgView Pitch. We are heading into a new month of February, and so we are just wrapping up, as we record this, the Executive AgView Business Summit. And so we've got with us some of the real smart guys with marketing, I guess. And so I'm going to have Dwayne Lowry here uh, moderate this conversation, and uh, we'll go ahead and introduce uh, Brandon Moe. Um, Joe Vaklevic and Jared Creed will all be on here with Dwayne. And so you guys enjoy. And here you go, Dwayne. You're on. Thank you, Chris. Um, I'm quite humbled by this crowd at the table here, but uh, a lot of expertise. And we're going to try to bring um, the theme from the conference, um, put it onto the podcast, and try to tie some of the theme together with a marketing conversation, uh, some outlook, uh, some pitfalls and concerns that we might have or expectations. Um, because there's going to be four of us here, I think uh, uh, everybody's probably been on the AgView pitch and most people will probably recognize their voice, but just for clarity, I think if you kind of identify yourself when you're speaking. Um, the theme throughout this conference has been to talk about risk management or to uh, risk identification. And there's been uh, different perspectives, but most of the what's been at the conference has been big picture items, trying to identify uh, what might be out there for concerns. Uh, there has been little done in terms of marketing, in terms of specific, um, uh, how to handle the situation, how to navigate it. Hopefully we'll get to some of that uh, here in this uh, podcast. I'm going to start with something simple. Um, basis levels, to me, seem like they have been quite firm and for a period of time and maybe more so than what we used to call as normal. Is there anybody here that thinks that there might be something on the horizon that may cause basis to surprise us in either way, but uh, more specifically, is there anything that might cause a concern? Because I think there's a certain level of complacency towards basis on the producer side, and justifiably so. It seems like it's been strong. But Jared, I know you work uh, a lot with producers directly marketing their grain. So can you give us some insight on what you're seeing for basis or expectations? Well, you went all the way through this last year's harvest before you broke decash inverse. And the expectation of a, a wave of corn to move from the farmer uh, after the first of the year, it, I mean, it came true. Uh, a lot of processed destinations anymore are now in carry markets. It seems like the cash inverse has come and gone, even though the board is still inverted, which makes you scratch your head a little bit. Um, from here forward, um, to impact basis moves higher or lower, we've already experienced one hell of a roller coaster in ethanol margins in the last 30 days. Uh, that has certainly had negative implications on uh, especially Western processor bids. At the same time, you've had rail freight go through the roof. That has a negative impact on plenty of elevator uh, elevation margins. Um, from here forward, I think it's probably a slowdown of farmer selling to keep the pipeline full can obviously uh, impact basis, but maybe more than anything until we get through the end of the winter, uh, any larger weather event that would slow down grain movement as well. Because at the end of the day, yeah, we had a wall of grain move after the first of the year, but I don't know if it's been enough to necessarily, um, you know, make everybody feel real cozy going into the end of the winter. Uh, and to your point, um, you know, basis levels are still firm for the most part. Joe, um, I don't remember if it was you that brought this up, but some one of the speakers today talked about the farmer uh, still having 62% of the inventory, 
Uh, one, do you feel that that's an accurate assessment? And that sounds like it's a little on the high side. That Do you believe the farmer is sitting on an abnormal amount of his production from 21 that makes us uh, a little more vulnerable where the tables might turn on that producer with the ethanol margins backing off maybe a little bit? Is there any, do you have any concern about that? I don't know what's uh, being stored on the farm. I know it was in the grain stocks report. I would say that in general, in regard to what's been priced as in committed to the board or to the market my personal thought is that the farmer is more aggressively sold than he would be in a normal year and rightfully so because the profitability is fantastic and you can't argue with it um does that mean that there's guys out there who aren't happy that they sold corn a dollar ago yeah there's a lot of that for sure there's guys out there that sold corn two dollars ago that aren't happy about it but you know profit's a profit uh that that's my general takeaway i did a poll of my uh, uh newsletter subscribers just a few weeks ago, I think, and, and most people indicated that they had uh, were a little bit more heavily priced priced in regard to, to the 2021 uh, corn and soybean crops than they would be in a normal year. And, and the, the reasoning was simple. I mean, it was profitability. Um, what's still on the farm, where, where it's moved, I don't know that. But um, the, I think the sales have been pretty aggressive. And it's not uncommon for farmers to be totally sold out of the 21 crop. No, it's the prices have been so good. It's hard not to be a seller. If you've got the inventory, you already know what your costs were and, yeah. and you want the cash flow. Um, Ryan, I'm sure you have a lot of uh, good contacts and information and perspective on a global perspective of cash markets and exports and sales, et cetera. How, how do you feel that we're stacking up in terms of our sales pace versus uh, what's uh, projected by USDA? Are we going to end up with better sales than it's on the books now, or are we going to fall short of those expectations? And how is the U.S. Uh, export market competitively priced right now for the 21 production? Yeah, for, for corn, the biggest concern for me in that is the sales versus the inspections. And are we going to, is China going to take everything that they have purchased from us? Uh, as far as how things are moving right now, it's a little bit odd to me that we saw an export sale to China today because we shouldn't have seen that because we are not competitively priced in the world marketplace. I mean, Brazil has, they are talking about the crop shrinking down there. It's still a big crop. Joe, I think you had one of the slides in your presentation about the size of the crop, and even with it being smaller, is it the second it'll largest? It'll still be market? second or third biggest ever, probably second yeah. biggest ever. So, I mean, it's still a monster down there, right? And so they should be getting all of the business that is coming our way. But there's that uncertainty that exists with the Russia-Ukraine escalation of tensions and the uncertainty around that. And world buyers, if they're going to be buying, they're going to want to buy from a reliable supplier. That probably offers some level of support to the U.S. as we are one of the better suppliers, more um, certain suppliers in the world. I don't think it necessarily matters when we sell it to them as long as we do sell it to them. And if I wanted to put a tinfoil hat on, Brazil pipeline is still tight until they harvest this crop because of a short crop last year. U.S. has a supply. Ukraine had a record corn production this last year, but that was already a front-loaded program to China. So what other choice does China have to go to buy if they need it now? So you, that, that's you're saying the U.S. is going to be the place that they and come I'm to. not saying for a long haul, but if there's right. a, a need now with the Russia-Ukraine tension, again, that might just be a tinfoil hat opinion, but we're the only ones that they could really go source it from right now because they've already clean house in Ukraine. If they need, if they need, if the they corn need the corn, if yes. they, and who knows on that one, right? And then the other thing with China is, um, I think there's a general thought that they're going to remain a strong importer of corn, whether 
where whether it comes from the U.S. or not is a question. But what is their timing situation? Have they replenished their stocks from where they were when they first started this large buying program more than a year ago? Have, are, are they capable of waiting for you know a different set of circumstances that maybe they they don't buy until the 2022 crop comes along? Could they take the inverse that exists between old crop and new crop? And even if they make uh, purchases, they end, end up delaying those or or rolling them or changing the origin. I mean, what what's their situation? Are they are they hand to mouth or did they greatly improve their stock situation? I would say they've greatly improved their stock situation, but you're also having to try to uh, figure out the psychology behind communism too. Like they can, they can, they've proven that they will hold out much longer than anybody ever expected. I mean, they've proven that in a number of different uh, world events in the last five to 10 years. So I don't know what the actual numbers would be um, from a, what do they need need? Um, But I also go back to, from a long-term perspective, depending on them as our only major client in the export space, I think there's a very major risk associated with that simply because ChemChina owns Syngenta. And if they start to focus on, you know, improving their yields, I mean, we need somebody else to be able to sell to because if we're dependent upon them for the customer as the only customer to keep $6-plus corn, I don't know how long-term of a plan that is looking five to seven years out. Joe, um, since we've talked about basis, let's talk a little bit about spreads, and we'll start talk about it from the inverse standpoint. Right now, we have a, a old crop inverse over new crop. It's quite early on the calendar to, to really talk about that, but what's the th- uh, threat of that working against the producer? That that alone should cause a producer to maybe be more heightened in moving twenty one inventory. Um, you know, give me your thoughts on the inverse and is it too, maybe it is too early to talk about it. And secondly, in terms of spreads, focusing on new crop, um, can you imagine a situation where we build carry in the market structure by the time we get to harvest or is it possible we'll have enough acreage, we could have a good enough yield to increase supply enough that we will start to build carry? Are we going to continue to have a, a relatively, you know, poor environment for carry? This may not be a popular opinion, but I don't really care about the inverse between old crop and new crop. I mean, I know it's an indication and a characteristic of a bull market, but when it comes to marketing, the 2021 crop and the 2022 crop are apples and oranges, even if it's the same crop. I mean, they're two totally different situations. So I don't know that it makes any difference to me if there's a $3 inverse in old crop beans or a $7 inverse, or we go back to a carry. I mean, if you go back to a carry, we're probably into some lower prices would be my guess. Uh, that would be the the obvious thing that would happen, but I don't I don't know that I'm overly concerned as as like in regard to grain marketing about what these spreads do. I think the front month's going to lead the way, especially if if money managers keep pouring into this stuff. I think they're going into the back months too. But I mean, this is just this is classic bull market type stuff. I mean, you've got an inverted market, old crop versus new. It's probably going to stay that way unless something really changes. But from a grain marketing standpoint, I don't think that I don't think the inverse means a damn thing to be honest. Jared, absent a, uh, a problem with the 22 crop in the U.S., uh, given the carryout at USDA says if we take that at face value, doesn't there come a point in time where the commercial will f- 
force carry into that market if by the time they're, they're going to take control of those physical bushels? Because they're the ones that are going to carry it. I'm going to piggyback on what Joe was talking about there for a second, especially on all the outside money that's in this market. They are front-loaded in a big way. Granted, they are buying some back stuff. I think there's a reason to watch that. But they're sitting there on a managed money position, arguably the longest they've ever been going into the end of January. That sounds okay. like it's something and you're I concerned about. Let's, let's just put it this way, that oftentimes you talk about a big, long position. I think Joe talked about this yesterday, that that can be viewed as maybe something that's not so friendly. It's that risk of them being long that has created the opportunity to price these much higher prices. So it's not like it's necessarily just a guaranteed bearish event. Their behavior and the size of the long that they have with a farmer that still had a record crop last year and an inverted board, but a carry cash market, a very interesting setup of all of that. If imagine there's 300 of us in a 10 by 10 room and we all got to get out the same door all at once. The funds are long, 300,000 contracts of corn. And if, big if, something tells them that they need to get out, that's going to be a, a bloodbath. I mean, that's that situation, the, the carry and the cash, but inverted board just screams outside money, doesn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, to me, it does. 100%. And yeah. they've had plenty of reason to do so, yeah. right? And it's worked for them. And as long as the board stays inverted, it ain't costing them to push it forward. So to your question on the commercial, I think the commercial's probably just hands off on that right now. I mean, they're right. trying to stay hand to mouth as possible as well. Right. They're, they're not going to build an inventory until either a massive problem happens with the 22 crop or carry develops and they can mm-hmm. buy a cheap basis and with some spreads. Um, Ryan, shifting gears here towards uh, acreage. Um, there's been a couple of uh, extreme uh, acreage expectations on large corn and large beans, both ends. And there seems to be a lot of people that are looking for numbers that are very similar to last year. Do you see anything either agronomically, input-wise, uh, that's going that uh, offers you a strong opinion on where that acreage is going to slant. Is it going to be more towards an increase in corn or more towards an increase in beans? And do you think the the decision by the producer is largely committed because they were aggressively trying to put on fertilizer in the fall uh, and they they had the weather to do so, or do you think that it that final decision is still in limbo and will be impacted a lot by what? price relationships occur between now and that final decision. I'm in the camp that we're going to see very similar situations to last year. Um, you know, the thing about the fertilizer expense is a very real issue, but not everybody bought all of their fertilizer at the top of the market, which is, and so there is, and and I'm, I'm not as, uh, I'm not as, familiar with the outlier states you know the the big area that we work is minnesota south dakota iowa nebraska those areas and those crop rotations are pretty well baked in they're going to stay where they've been and so i don't see us having a major acreage shift in corn and soybeans anyway I would say that uh, I've kind of heard the same things, even at this conference. Some people with more southern connections that I thought maybe would be uh, encouraged maybe to scale back their corn 
they're more inclined to stay with their corn. I was a little bit surprised at some of those themes that I heard. It's a good lifestyle crop. Yeah. It's the coffee shop deal that, oh, our neighbors to the north, they can't do it, but we can. And then them staying neighbors to the north, oh, they can't do it, but we can. That's happening everywhere. Right. And the psychology around corn farming is if there's any reverse psychology or any psychology that allows the corn farmer to convince himself that he should plant corn that nobody else is, he's going to plant corn. So if there's a uh, consensus here that we're somewhat similar to last year uh, and maybe not dramatic, is there also consensus here that uh, given normal uh, growing season that we are going to either maintain, carry out, or add to carry out? Is that a fair assessment for the 22 or not? I believe in seed genetics far more than I believe in most commodity analysts. I would do, I do probably do too. Myself included. It's going to be a hard thing to bet against these last couple years. I mean, there were people at this meeting we were phenomenally wet record crop. We were phenomenally dry record crop. I mean, it's it's uh, it's really phenomenal what's happened and how, I mean, weather's still an issue in the market trades weather, no doubt, but um, the, it seems like the impact of weather on crops is just it's becoming less and, and less, I guess. So if that's the case, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and go back to what uh, the economist uh, Bill Connerly spoke about. One of the things that caught me in his presentation, he had a slide that he talked about that peak asset prices. Um, and he was talking about more than just com uh, ag commodities. And he probably wasn't talking about ag specific. He was just in general uh, about asset values in an inflation environment that he indicated that he thought that we'd either were near the asset peak, may have even gone past that asset peak, or we'll be very close to it. And he said that as inflation um, occurs and the Fed takes its fight against inflation, which they're clearly on that pathway, as they raise interest rates, the uh, decision by the investor to uh, where they're going to put money might start to go away from some of these assets. I took it to imply that there might be less you know, natural gra gravitational pull of the upside from inflation, you know, mentality in the egg markets under that scenario is, would, would you agree that, that uh, with the prices that we've had, the pr recent price rally, the market news, the adding of risk premium from geopolitical risk of Russia, Ukraine, uh, South American crop, have we priced in a lot of this stuff, whether you want to say we've priced in inflation influences or the near-term fu recent fundamental storylines we've been talking? Have we priced this stuff in? And I'll start with uh, Jared. I don't know if the question of have we priced it in is what we want to try to answer. What we want to try to answer is how does the general consumer and market participant react to any of those types of changes? And just look back in the last 24 months at some of the incredible moves that we've seen in our markets. Lumber. Nothing supply and demand related there, right? It I don't was believe a, so. It was a, a pile drive, everybody chasing return. And you look at some of these other small stocks and such. The only reason I bring that up is just how does market participants react? Who's the first shoe to drop? What commodity is it, or is it interest rates, or is it hard assets that has the potential of creating a domino effect? That's my opinion, that once, if something changes in the next two months, six months, year, it will be a domino effect. And I think we've seen history suggest that as well. And I don't know what that first thing is to drop. I think commodities is it can be a, a near and dear just because of the high-risk um, you know, environment that commodities generally are. 
but again, I just think it'll be a domino effect whenever something does happen. Would you think your first domino would have to be energy? I mean, because so much of the ag is tied to energy anymore. I mean, if you see crude oil go from mid-80s to mid-50s. Something big enough to scare the hell out of somebody. Corn's not staying at six and a quarter if, if they cut crude in half. No. It's not going to happen. Not now without a big weather problem or some sort of, I mean, major fundamental supply and demand factor that managed money's not staying in the corn market if they cut crude in half. Mm-hmm. Not in my opinion. It's been my experience that when the Fed starts to make a move and they get committed to something, and we can argue about whether they're committed or not to fighting inflation here, it seems like there are other things that kind of join forces and they just kind of seem to happen and they unfold. Um, Ryan mentioned the hypothetical scenario of crude goes from mid 80s to mid 50s or 60s. You know, right now, most people aren't thinking that's possible or they're not expecting it. But we all know surprises occur. And if and uh, that would certainly be a, a significant blow against inflation if that were to happen. And so I personally, am, uh, it's not difficult for me to, to buy into that um, possibility. And I could, I could certainly, certainly see it. In terms of uh, global economic trade demand, uh, we know we have some uh, geopolitical hotspots going on. Um, I'm not personally, I don't really, I'm not concerned about either one. I'm not concerned about China invading Taiwan in the near term. I'm not in, concerned about Russia invading Ukraine. Um, but that's just my personal view. But do you guys see anything on the global economic front, trade, conflict, that you really do have a lot of concern about, that you, you do believe is, is a serious, legitimate thing that's highly probable that it's going to negatively impact agriculture? Anybody want to take that? I think I agree with what you just said, that I don't I, – I think the Ukraine thing would be more likely than the China thing. Um, and it's something that everybody's talking about. I mean, everybody knows that if, if Ukraine or if Russia invades Ukraine, we're going to have some issues with wheat exports, maybe corn exports to some extent. But outside of those two things, I don't know of any other factor in terms of like geopolitical type issues that I'm really that concerned with, I don't think. What about a global economic outlook? Is there anything there that you guys feel confident that is a serious threat that could could uh, hurt demand? Or, or are we looking at the other side of it where demand's going to get better as everybody gets tired of COVID and we kind of get that off the... The energy some, crisis in some of these other countries is a real deal. I mean, they're already living Europe's the a worst mess. nightmare. Yeah. Oh, and it's, but North America's energy issues are far different than the rest of the world's. Mm-hmm energy issues north america is largely energy independent i mean our friends in canada and mexico we're good here in north america well how much of the russia ukraine uh situation started out not maybe where it is now but started out as russia posturing to try to put pressure to get everybody to buy into the uh, pipeline and get that supply committed is that was is and was that uh russia's primary uh reason for doing what they've done your question has more education to it than i would have a clue to be honest with you i'll say one thing about the russia (laughs) ukraine obviously none of us here know anything i don't think russia will do anything because at some point in time there will always be a dividing line between nato and the west and russia and if i'm russia i'm going to say what better dividing line could i possibly ask for than ukraine the eastern part of the country is very much pro-russian I've got probably a history of influences and people and connections there. 
And at any given time, that's an easy place for me to try to exert pressure and create some level of fear. So I think it's a perfect little ace in the hole for them. I, I don't think they, I think they lose far more invading than they gain and forget the near term, but just long term. That's just my personal view on that. Um, Shifting gears a a little bit again, um, even in this conversation here, there's a a aura of uh, understanding that there's some levels of risk. Uh, Jared mentioned the concern about the specs holding a large position of corn. We've talked about other factors. We talked about acreage that is going to lead to an equal or higher carryout, and we talked about the fact that uh, seed genetics makes it more difficult to to lose a crop here in the U.S., Um, if there's a bottom side, I'm not asking you to take a stand and make a prediction, but if there's a bottom side and a washout from either liquidation or a realization that we've had uh, maybe a little bit better crop in, in South America than the worst fears we've recently dealt with, and maybe we've achieved uh, a normal or better than normal yield in the U.S. Uh, for 22 What's the downside risk here? Some, I want everybody to put a price tag. It's not meant to be a projection, but where do you feel the, the, the matrix could, could come together in reasonable, plausible scenarios and define that downside risk? Corn and beans. Both. Your harvest low in corn was just south of $5, right? So all else unchanged, um, crude stays high, uh, the stock market doesn't fall apart, um, that would be the low end of the range for me. Right so that now. that would imply the low end of the range without any negative influences from these other right peripheral. without without some massive outside influence. I think fundamentally supply and demand. If you're putting me on the spot and say pick a number where um, new crop corn goes, I mean I think that would be your obvious target. It's like that's where we bottomed out. Basically, it was September 10th when we posted that. It was like 497 spot futures. I mean, that would that would be my spot, and beans would be somewhere just south of 12, probably. So it's a long ways away. I mean, that, that those that those are substantial downside numbers. I mean, if you if you get there. So um, if that's the scenario on the bottom side without any of these other problems, let's throw in a problem. We don't have to identify what it is, but something that causes the spec liquidation to occur and the nobody wants to own the, the market in that environment and or we've added to carry out to where it's seen as comfortable do you, do you want to do you have a chart based uh downside risk that you would put throw out there i don't have the charts in front of me but it's more than the numbers i mentioned probably um i i, I think the supply and demand the market's overpriced right now you stocks to use ratio you go back historically we're we're not where we're supposed to be but it's because it's because I think there's outside money coming in because they want to hedge inflation or for whatever reason. But I mean, if you look at a stocks to use ratio chart and corn or beans, I mean, we probably shouldn't be at six and a quarter spot corn and, and 14 and a half spot beans. I don't think those are the numbers that would be fairly represented by the last, say, 10 years of, of a stocks to use ratio. But we're in we're in a different world. This is 2008 again. This this is not 2018. That sounds like a market that has priced in or at least been inflated by some of these other factors. Yeah. Um, Ryan, I'm glad you went first on that, Joe, for the record. <laughs> well, you're second, Ryan. Oh, <laughs> Give me uh, your perspective on the same question. What's the downside risk? And if you want to answer it the same way he did with, you know, no other adverse uh, situations, and, and give me another one where there are some other adverse that would get blindsided. What, what yeah, do you th- I mean, I some event is going to occur. There's just, there's too many things that are bubbling up right now for nothing to happen. Um, but I do think that we are in a, a you know, I, 
the, the, I don't want to ever use the term new normal because that's what people did in 2008. That's what people did in That'll 2012. In yeah, you don't yeah so you don't want to ever use the word new normal. But when you are looking at just an overall inflationary environment that we're in and you're looking at what would actually happen to uh, corn acres, just farming in general, if we hit sub five here and stay down there for an extended period of time, I think we do some very serious damage to uh acres in what 2023 then is that what we'd be looking at and then and then you would see an adjustment so staying north of five bucks for the rest of the year is is probable because if you look at what ethanol plants are break even right now at six and a quarter corn and 350 at the pump gas now, if we keep 350 at the pump gas, which I'll argue there's very few Americans that look at 350 gas and complain about it. They, they, yeah, they complain about it, but did they stop driving? No. Um, and so I want to say that if we keep 350 gas at the pump, I think we can afford to stay up at these price levels. But it's I'm, I'm on energy focus on that one. Jared, quite the, quite how about you? Quite the luxury of getting to go last. <laughs> but your question of, you know, define the risk. When, how long, for who you know, to maybe put it all into a farmer term, the farmer's risk isn't the next 60 days, the next 90 days. It's arguably the next 24 months. I agree with that. And to rule out any type of crazy environment just from a couple recency bias situations, yes, I know crude was in a delivery cycle. Yes, I know that people learned that commodities can go negative. Some didn't. Corn reacted to all that. Ethanol is building stocks right now to the same degree that we were right at the beginning of COVID. So maybe it's not even an inflation deal. Maybe it's the unknown future of, again, COVID. Just throwing these wild cards out there. But I don't even know if it's uh, fair to say that I agree with these guys. At five bucks, supply and demand, great. But that's probably where we would be without all these outside influences just from supply and demand. If we go back to a 2 billion bushel plus carryout, which I think is doable. I would actually make the argument that if there's movement in a corn acre number, it could be higher. 2013 prospective plantings was 97.3 and our insurance price was three cents away from where we're at right now. And then hydrus was a hundred dollar a ton cheaper. I think that uh, there's probably truth in what Jared just said. There is a risk that these acres could be larger than what we might think. I'm, um, not, I'm not on that record. Don't get me no, wrong. I understand. I We're just talking hypothetical. Risk, you can't downside. be surprised by anything on March no. 30th. I mean, you cannot be surprised by anything. People get these numbers wrong by millions of acres every year, and this year's probably not going to be any different. I mean, there's going to be something in there that's that's off. You know, I don't know if it's corn acres or bean acres or, or some other crop pulls a bunch of acres. I don't know what it's going to be, but there's going to be something in there that's a that's a surprise. From from a dollars and cents though for the farmer, <clears throat> downside price risk is more or less from thirteen dollar cash beans and lower, and certainly sub five dollar cash corn. I think a majority of U.S. corn farmers, uh, corn and soybean farmers, are looking at a loss at that situation. Yeah, it would be uh, devastating if we started to get below those levels so as far as working capital with levels where they're at right now and option protection you guys working with producers then do you have anybody taking option protection against new crop december corn at those i mean i've done i don't have anybody i've done some short dated new crop options uh which are available now on cme they've they've been pretty good the last few years and just in, in terms of liquidity and the ability to put them on and off um 
different people are different mm-hmm. you guys know that you know buying a put option in general and i'll tell you the truth they like most of the time they just lose money and you donate to the market but there are years where they can work wonders uh this could be one of those years maybe not i don't know I, I they're think, out there uh, not to speak for all of them but people are willing to play a little bit more defense without some flexibility at these prices they see the writing on a wall hey yeah. i'm just willing to sell something yeah so then they're, they're just doing cash sales as opposed to option more, I've seen a lot more of that than options for yep. sure. Yep. yep, that makes sense. People have sticker shock from the option. Absolutely. But um, I'm probably a little bit uh, different than what you guys have mentioned. Uh, um, my approach has been to uh, try to do more HTAs than maybe what they would have done in other years just because of revenue protection, not really a price opinion. Um, but I've also... I also see value in, in uh, taking the spending the money for those at the money puts. Uh, I know they're 50 cents if you buy at the money corn puts, but I don't think that the day you buy them, they're not immediately worthless the next day. Right. And somewhere down the road, the market's going to move far enough that you're going to have other opportunities to maybe sell puts under the market and use utilize your crop insurance uh, money that you spent there to play off of that. I think there's other opportunities that present itself, but I'm kind of under the opinion that you're not going to buy pay 50 cents on all 200 bushels you plan to grow but it's a part of your tool maybe there's so many bushels an acre you're going to use for that so many for hta but i i like to see as much revenue protection as i possibly can with the person that has resistance to that then choosing more of the option percentage as opposed to which doesn't have the finality the key but, part of what you were also just saying though is managing that option position yeah so when you put it when you put it in the set it and forget it yeah. mode that's when you that's when everybody ends up feeling no like i think it's a piece options. to the puzzle of how, it, right. how it's going to be a tremendous used. amount of ways to skin a cat yeah. right right yeah and one way or the other you just got to find the the roadmap to get as much revenue as you possibly can um i guess kind of uh uh lastly here um we've talked about this a little bit um I want to get a people. I want people to be able to have an understanding about how concerned you are about the level of prices now offered, the the revenue, the profitability that's there, the large commitment that we've already had to to uh, the high expenses, whether they were uh, increased rents or fertilizer or whatever they were, um, and the the plausible uncertainties that we have out there. Um, how uh, what is the combination of plausible scenarios that that maybe cause you great greatest concern? What are you trying to protect against, and how aggressive are you w- wanting to be in protecting that, uh, with regardless of what tools you use, versus maybe a different year? That's a big question. First off, it, so if corn if these corn drops a buck, does, does it matter why? No. If you're no. from a grain marketing standpoint, no. I mean, the why and, and the reason why it happened is really inconsequential. Is it because the Fed was too aggressive? Is it because the global economy fell apart? Is it because uh, the, the COVID whatever variant destroyed us? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that that, I don't know that that's like the thing I'm that concerned about, really, like where it comes from. But I don't have a doom and gloom outlook. I'm, I'm still in the camp that we've got to figure out a way to still spend all these trillions of dollars that, it's a bull market. Invented. I mean, don't, don't like, it's a bull market. These yeah. are bull markets we're talking so about. I don't want to be doom and gloom. That are yeah. like on the edge of falling nope. apart. It's just, we're talking about this as, as risk <laughs> managers, but these are yeah. our bull markets that have trended higher for go, going on three years now. Yeah. You know, all, all of that is true. I'm going to play devil's advocate with that thought for just a minute. Um, 
I don't know exactly because I don't have a chart or anything in front of me here, but what it was three weeks ago, there was a period of time that the stock market was up and how many days couldn't they have printed for an afternoon recap, new record high, new high settlement, new this, new that. But in reality, it wasn't that far away from where it was in April. Okay. Yeah. yeah it, w- it was with only within one or two days of a hard sell-off away from those levels. There's a lot of sideways, but drifting higher type activity. And yet all of a sudden, three weeks later, we've had the Dow drop 4,000 points now it's the lowest settlement since April or some day like that. All of a sudden, things change dramatically. And, you know, around this business, there's a lot of last tick analysis. So, yes, it's a bull market, but that's what it is and has been. But things can change so quickly, and that's associated with all the risks that we see out here or the high revenues that's offered, the high expenses. All of that stuff is motivating producers to, to ask questions about how they can get revenue protection or motivating guys like us to to encourage people to really evaluate their risk and how much risk do you want to take and how much do you want to protect. Um, so uh, I see things happen with what has recently happened with the stock market. And I look at that chart and I wonder, is this the, just the beginning? Is this going to last longer? And does it, what does that spill over? To me, uh, if I had to identify what am I most concerned out for the what ifs and, and the reason, even though the reason may not be important, um, I'm probably most concerned about an economic downturn based on the Fed fighting inflation so hard. And I, th- I think they're committed to getting rates up to th- two and a half, three percent. My guess is they're going to get there a lot quicker than people think. I think relative to the majority of the listeners for this podcast, what you just said is all 100 percent true. And we all know, uh, you know, I can have an opinion. You can have an opinion. Everybody can have an opinion. But at the end of the day, it's still how the grand crowd reacts to whatever comes our way and in the here and now for these listeners there is no fundamental rhyme or reason for what we're doing get fundamentals out of your mind okay yeah we rally a little bit on south america weather on beans anything else you you two think of any other fundamental reason that it's just just one it's part of the reason and it's one of the probably lower end of the total polls and so i guess the comment that i'm getting at here is there are times where a market starts to make these moves. You run with the risk, but you better be prepared to act when you get to a pinch point that I need to go ahead and do something. And right now, the because, because quite frankly, at five seventy D's twenty two corn and thirteen fifty November twenty two beans, I get it that stuff needs to be sold there. But there's a window of room there that I'm willing to risk. Let it run. But then when something does change, and that, yeah, it sounds easier said than done. Oh, I'm going to see something change. We've seen a market, if, if corn comes out and drops 25 cents in a day, guess what? There's your wake-up call. But, you know, you those, so, so those r- things r- are r- certainly true. But uh, um, unless you identify it in advance, which is what you're doing right now, and, and you're mentally prepared to, to make an adjustment if you see a thing turn, if producers haven't been willing to sell up to this point, most of them, especially this date on the calendar, are not going to be willing to sell on weakness. That's going to be a difficult that, thing to pull. That's that back to that order flow. That's the dangerous piece about it. But you know what? Uh, I'm going to applaud those producers at the same time, right? They've been right, right? The guys who uh, don't have anything sold from, I mean, there are farmers out there who don't have a darn thing sold from last year. Good for them. Whatever their financial situation was to get there, great. Uh, how's that all play out in the future? 
to be determined, but I, I just, I don't think that, uh, there is any reason to get too hung up on any type of opinion in a current market. Uh, Ryan, you were, I kind of interrupted you there. So what were you? Uh, I mean, so it's not going to hurt anybody to sell into it, right? As no. it's rising up. So sell into the silly, right? And use stops to manage the market in case of a, a major downshift, right? It will hurt and you mentally. It will it will cause you brain damage. That's how people feel about it. I about mean, stop it, orders? No, about selling and then seeing the market go up another 50 cents. That's it's a mental thing. Mm -hmm. It's it's not bad for you on the farm. It's just a it's a mental hurdle that right. people have a lot of difficulty with and that's mm -hmm. it's everybody. It's right. it's just it's a very common problem that everybody has. But we see very few guys sell with stop or manage <clears throat> with stop orders, right? And then adhering to those stops, right? And sticking with those. We just don't we don't see a lot of that activity and I'd like to see more of that use with farm marketers or yeah. so that they don't uh so they don't get so emotional about it, right? It's difficult. It's very difficult mm -hmm. for whether you're a trader or whether you're a farmer. It's mm -hmm. very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, Jared had the luxury of going last some of these times, so I'm going to start out with our kind of our wrap-up here. Um, Jared, um, pick anything you want to and summarize your view, your thoughts about uh, the situation we're dealing with now and anything that you think provides value to the farmer. In this environment, I just think the farmer needs to identify what a worst-case revenue that hopefully is a worst-case profit that they're willing to accept. And then stress tests in a couple different situations, yield, price, what strategy do I need to employ to get there. And it's just math. It's just simple algebra. Come up with three different situations, high yield, low yield, middle yield. Understand where the insurance is going to kick in. We're going to know that insurance price in four weeks. Hopefully, you're just able to identify, at least in corn, a worst-case profit. Uh, and in beans, for most guys, it's still a defensive sale. So just identify the worst-case profit and create the plan and go with it. Is this kind of a year that you just don't want to make that mistake of, of having markets turn and not – You don't want to lose money this year. Right. That's for sure, because yeah. 2023 is going to be horrible if you lose money in 22. Yeah. Um, Joe, you're next. Um, I think we've all kind of agreed that outside money has had a big – impact on what's going on here um and they've probably driven the the markets to prices that we would have not have seen otherwise um i guess i'm just i'm i don't have a clue what the markets are going to do i think so much of it has to do with outside factors that are not supply and demand related and that's not something that um it's not something that like my customers want to hear necessarily when like when people call and they ask why are beans up 20 cents they don't want to hear that's eh, just money you know what i mean that's like not the answer that they want but that's the answer so, I mean, we're just going to roll with it, and it's, it's going to end. I just I don't know what, what period of this bull market cycle are we in. Are we, are we in the first inning? Are we in the third inning? Are we in the bottom of the ninth? I, Probably I extra know. innings in my view. Yeah, it could be, or, or this, could, this could run for another five years. I, it's, uh, it's, it's extremely interesting. And by the way, that question gets asked way too often. Why are we up a nickel? Well... You know what? I thought you had a New Year resolution. You weren't going to ask me that question anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Market's going to trade, you know. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, share uh, your thoughts on what uh, summarizes here. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not I, I'm, I'm not a downer on this market. I think corn values running where they're at. It's, you know, I, I can see it continuing here for a while. Uh, beans, I'm, if I'm bearish on anything, I'm bearish on beans because I do think the South American crop is bigger than what the sensational – articles say about uh yield reductions down there again i have so much faith in genetics 
of seeds nowadays that I, I think it's going to be a big crop, and I think we're going to have big crops going forward. And so it comes down to we got to have big demand. So um, I would like to thank uh, all the people here at the table, uh, Joe Vaklovic, uh, Jared Creed, and uh, Ryan Moe. This has been a, a great um, AgView Solutions Executive Business Conference in general. We've summarized these podcasts with uh, finished up with a marketing uh, podcast. Um, you guys have a lot of great experience and perspective, and I feel very uh, uh, honored to have you here. And it was a privilege to, to, to have you on the podcast. So thank you very much for that, uh, podcast listeners. Um, we hope you've enjoyed the podcast from this conference, and we hope that you uh, consider joining us next year. And uh, I think the last thing I'll say about 2022, um, as Jared mentioned, this is not the year that you want to end up having a loss. And despite the, the fact that uh, um, not knowing what might be out there on the horizon, uh, we've all been in this business long enough, even whether you're at this table or you're just listening to this podcast, we have all seen and experienced situations where markets didn't turn out as we expected. And this would not be a good year to let the profits uh, go by. For some, that's crop insurance. You're spending more money there as a marketing tool. For others, it's uh, more advanced sales than you've done in the past. For others, it's options. Whatever it may be, at the end of the day, just sit down, evaluate your own operation, forget about all the noise out here, all the opinions and all the, the fanfare, make decisions that make you profitable in 2022. So thank you very much, everybody. Ha, <laughs>